Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 50. Can you guys believe it? We made it to 50, and it's all because of you guys, the listeners. You guys said we wouldn't make it. You guys said None we of you were guys dumb. believed in us. <laughs> <laughs> all you haters could go suck it. No, I'm just kidding. No, you guys are all amazing. Thank you guys for all of your support and for listening and for caring and for keeping us going. I don't think we would have continued without you. We would just be talking to ourselves. And that's just boring. Just, yeah, 50 seems so big. It seems I know. So, we're like grown-ups. I know. We're adults, we've, finally. That means we've done 100 quickies and 100, right? Is my math yeah. right? We've done 100 quickies and we've done 100 stories. That's crazy. We're really talented. I mean, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I feel like we should. We're really hard workers. We're such hard workers. My God. This right. is the hardest I've ever worked on anything, by the way. <laughs> I only care about this podcast and I only <laughs> care about you guys. Oh, I'm a quitter. I wish it wasn't true. <laughs> I have so many. It's like every journal I have that is 10 pages filled. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then just blank. It's oh. like that is the story of my life, except yeah. for this podcast. I love to pick up hobbies and then put them down two days later. That's my yep. favorite thing to do. <laughs> it's the longest I've done anything. Well, man, again, thank you guys so much. I'm like, yeah, thank you. We really appreciate you and thank you guys for listening and thanks for supporting. And I say, let's get into this 50th episode. Let's do it right. Let's do it. Let's do I'm it. I'm excited. All right. Okay, quickies. I'm first. And Jen, for our 50th episode, I'm back with a sports story. Well, I wouldn't expect anything else from you, Sally. <laughs> <laughs> no, just well, I mean, I know what a big sports fan you are now. So I am. Okay, so this is from an ESPN article by a writer named John Durden. Okay, so the South Korean soccer league called the K-League became the first major league to start playing competitive games since the spread of coronavirus. And of course, like many teams, sports teams that are kind of starting back up, they're missing one major thing, and that is the fans. So one of the top South Korean clubs called FC Seoul had a great idea when they played another team last Sunday they decided to put mannequins in the seats behind the goal <gasps> so that when the camera panned on like a goal attempt, it would look like there were socially distancing fans in the bleachers. I've seen these- that restaurants are starting to do that and it's creepy as hell. It's so creepy. Yeah. And all these, all of the mannequins were holding banners and wearing masks and they're all seated like six seats apart. Like it's very odd. They thought they were doing something fun, but like as the game goes on, Korean social media started to light up because it became apparent to viewers that these mannequins who were supplied by a local company looked very much like sex dolls. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you couldn't see the mouth like open in a big, like, but they're like, I know that sex doll. I have that sex doll. 
<laughs> yeah. We know what's and, up. And also some of the mannequins, the signs they were holding, they were like, go team. Said, but they also had the logo for this company called Solos, which makes adult goods, which includes sex stalls and porn. So- oh my God. That's so funny. And the team said that there had been a misunderstanding with the supplier and that it had been told <laughs> that the dolls were not for adult use. And Right, right, right. Yeah, right. and at first they were like, no, 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 these were actually not sex dolls. They just look like sex dolls. But then, like, as there was, like, further investigation, they were like, oh, I guess there was a mix-up. Like, what are uh, all these weird holes for? <laughs> Right. Why are these boobs so big and soft? Uh, They said, our intention was to do something lighthearted in these difficult times. We will think hard about what we need to do to ensure something like this never happens again. I can think of one thing. Don't buy sex dolls. Uh, Oh, my God. Read the signs. Stick with the cardboard cutouts. Let's do it. Yeah. So the club apologized and the league handed down a 1 million KRW, which is like $81,000 fine. And then after reviewing the case, league officials said it accepted Soul's claim that it didn't know the mannequins were sex toys, but it said they could have easily recognized them using their common sense and experience. You know, and they could have taken this experience and done something good with it by donating all of the sex dolls to people in need. Exactly. That was I'm what sure I was that there thinking. are like, a lot of people self-quarantining right now that could really use some companionship. <laughs> That's how everybody knew. They were like, I just ordered one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's very relationship tangentially related. It's like a relationship with yourself, sex. I don't know. Yeah, no, that works. That works. I like it. That was a great story. We make our own rules. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. So for this 50th episode, Uh I thought I would do for a quickie. Um, It's an article written for People Magazine by Kelly Bender. But you know we love on this podcast a weird wedding. We love it's a weird wedding. Nice day for a weird wedding. <laughs> if we were technologically savvy, I would totally have played Billy Idol's White Wedding and then just changed the <laughs> word to weird right before I did that. So this article came out on May 19th, and the weird wedding is actually happening today. We're recording on Saturday. The podcast will come out on Monday, so it'll be over by the time you guys hear it. But they're getting married today in a few hours, actually. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm not even dressed. Yeah. This is this uh, story about a man named Scott Perry who decided to marry, love of his life, his pet cat, Olivia. Mm. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Perry had adopted Olivia, who at the time, her name was Colette, but he changed her name to Olivia. Um, When she was two years old, she was a medium-haired feline, and he got her from the Best Friends Animal Society in Los Angeles, who he adopted with his then-girlfriend. It doesn't say his then-girlfriend's name, but in 2015. And at first, the cat was, like, super shy and didn't want anything to do with them and would hide under his furniture and stuff, and, you know... He never really saw the cat. But then when Scott and his girlfriend broke up, within days of them breaking up, Olivia emerged from her shell and he says she hasn't left his side since. Mm -hmm. So the pair have been going strong for five years. I guess she has been his um, source of strength 
through the breakup and, you know, his companion, they've become even more close over the past two months in the quarantine. So to re-up on his commitment to Olivia, he decided to propose to the cat to show his appreciation for her. Olivia was lying on the front porch when Scott popped the question and the cat responded with a meow. (laughs) which Scott took as a yes. So I know this all sounds ridiculous. All of these weird weddings always sound ridiculous. But the real reason that he's marrying his cat, which is obviously not going to be legally binding, is he's trying to raise money for the Best Friends Animal Society in Los Angeles, the animal shelter that brought them together. There's really this whole time. I was just like, when is she going to get to the fact that he is having sex with this cat? No, no sex with the cat. <laughs> okay, okay. But no I was sex like, with the I cat. can't. No cat I can't sex. deal with this. Is, is that okay? <laughs> is um, that okay. It's really funny. There's like, uh, I mean, I'm going to post pictures, of course, but there's a picture of the cat wearing a wedding dress. Um, <laughs> the, he, they created, uh, I say they, like, you know, the cat had anything to do with it. <laughs> but created a wedding website on Zola. So they actually have a registry, which I went on today. It's where you can go on to their, um, you can go on to Zola and donate to the best friends, the animal shelter. And they're hoping to raise $5,000. But when I went on it just a couple hours ago, there was only 800 It's but because everyone's picturing him having sex with this cat. Probably. I threw a little money at it. I did. So what? So what? I threw a 20 down. Who cares? So what? Hope that helps. Um, but any everyone, uh, unfortunately, maybe it's so it's going to happen today on Zoom, and and everyone can watch. Oh no, I'm sorry, on Instagram Live at his his handle is at Scott Perry. So I mean, maybe he'll record it and we could all watch it because it's going to be over once this podcast airs. But I think it sounds pretty hilarious. He says, my kitty has helped me stay sane during this lockdown. Pets allow us to have a warm, positive interaction with other another living creature, living creature, while we have to maintain distance from others. And I'm sure that our furry friends have helped millions of others cope with the situation worldwide. And he said, the impact of the work that shelters have done is immeasurable. They provide safety to animals and happiness to families throughout the year, especially when we are smack dab in the middle of kitten season. I didn't know there was a season. Did you you know I didn't either. Kid? Yeah. No. So I guess that's uh, why he wants to raise money. So that's the story of Scott and his bride-to-be, Olivia. Well, congrats to Scott and Olivia. <laughs> I apologize, Scott, that my mind went there, but you just don't know the stories that we've heard on this podcast. I meant to give you a little warning. I meant to be like, when I was writing like it all out, I was like, oh, yeah, I need to like up top warn Sally that like, don't say anything you're going to (laughs) regret. Too late. Whoops, the deezer. I totally forgot. So, (laughs) well, hopefully they raise a little more money today. I I think I may watch the, why not? I'll watch the wedding. I'll watch the wedding. Okay. I'll throw a 20 at it for a 20 at it. He was having sex with a cat. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Scott. I'm sorry. Sorry. Hey, Jet. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for our 50th episode special crazy story? Yes. I hope it's extra crazy. It 
is kind of extra crazy. It's got a lot of layers, this one. Ooh, okay. I got my information from an article on people.com, from good old Wikipedia, and from extensive reporting by a writer named Jennifer Portman in the Tallahassee Democrat. And she actually followed this story for years and years and years. And so it's it's really it was really interesting to read kind of the progression of her reporting on it. So Oh, I love that. Like I love when that when it's the same reporter that keeps bringing you more and more information. Yes. So in 2012, Denise and Brian Winchester had separated after seven years of marriage. And the two had actually known each other since middle school, but this was the second marriage for both of them. The reason for their separation was reportedly due to Brian's sex addiction. Mm -hmm. And they had tried counseling, but both had had affairs even before they got married. And so... Finally, Denise decided that she was done and she filed for divorce in 2015. And that is when things got very contentious. Brian did not want the divorce. He was objecting in court. And then on August 5th of 2015, Denise left her home to drive to her job at Florida State University. And while she was talking on the phone with her sister, she felt something off, like she just had a creepy feeling. Mm-hmm. And then out of the corner of her eye in the rearview mirror, she sees someone pop up from the <gasps> backseat of the car. Oh, my God. That's my worst nightmare. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, right? Uh, and it was Brian. And he <sighs> had a gun and a tarp. And he took her phone. And then he started yelling directions at her, telling her where to go. And Brian told her that he was planning to kill himself with a gun He said he did not want the divorce, and he felt like he had nothing to live for if it went through, but he had a gun and a tarp, and what she later found out was a spray bottle of bleach, and so Denise knew that he was not just going to kill himself. He was going to kill her, too. Oh, my God. Yeah, and then somehow, so she's driving around, and she was somehow able to calm him down. He was, like, telling her to go to this wooded area, and she instead went to a CVS parking lot because she thought she like parked right by the door and she was like, if I'm in public, he's not going to kill me here. That's smart. So they talked and talked and talked and he was like, I don't want to get divorced. So she was just agreeing with everything he was saying. And then she took him back to where his own truck was parked And let him out. So he apologized and he eventually got out of her car because Denise promised that she would not go to the police. But then as soon as she pulled out of the lot, she went straight to the police station and she told the police that she had been kidnapped and that she feared if he was not put away that Brian would kill her the next chance he had. So police picked Brian up and they start investigating. And although... To the outside world, Brian was this well-to-do insurance agent. He actually wasn't a stranger to law enforcement. And this kidnapping was actually the break that police had been waiting for. So as the police started interviewing people who knew the couple, one friend of Brian's told the police that the reason Brian was going so nuts about the divorce Divorce. was because he was worried that once they were divorced, Denise would tell the police what she knew about this guy who had disappeared years ago. Oh, my God. So it turns out that this guy who had gone missing 15 years earlier was not just any guy, but was actually Brian's best friend since high school and Denise's first husband, Mike Williams. Oh, my God. So he told the police this? 
<clears throat> so this is what a friend, the police oh. already knew of him. Gotcha. Because, okay. Yeah. Because they, they had their eye on him. Okay. Okay. So Mike Williams grew up in Bradfordville, Florida. He was the son of a Greyhound bus driver and a daycare provider who raised him with his older brother, Nick, in a double white trailer. Instead of building a house, the family decided to save its money so that both of the boys who helped out by working nights at supermarkets could go to North Florida Christian High School. And Mike was this overachiever. He really appreciated all of what his parents did for him. And he was like, he was student council president. He played football and he was very active in the key club. And then at age 15, he started dating Denise. And then after they graduated, they both attended Florida State University, where he majored in political science and urban planning. And even before graduation, he had a job and uh, he was hired as a property appraiser at Ketchum Appraisal Group. And the company's owner said that Mike was the hardest working man I've ever seen. And Mike and Denise got married in 1994. And that same year, his best friend, Brian Winchester, also married his high school sweetheart, Kathy. And the two couples were always together. They were like going on double dates. They were hanging out. And they actually mm-hmm. bought houses at the same time near each other. And then in 1999... Denise and Mike had a daughter. And around that same time, Brian and Kathy had a son. And Mike's coworkers- Sounds like they were all just trying to one-up each other all the time. It does sound a little bit like <laughs> that, yeah. Mike's coworkers said he was like devoted to his daughter. But when their daughter was just 18 months old, on the morning of December 16th, 2000, Mike woke up early to go duck hunting on Lake Seminole. And later that night, Denise and Mike were going to go out of town to celebrate their sixth wedding anniversary. So Mm -hmm. at noon, Denise called her family to tell them that Mike had not returned. And her family and Mike's went out to the lake to search for him. Brian Winchester's father drove with him to the areas of the lake where they knew Mike often went dunk hunting. And there they found his 1994 Ford Bronco near a boat launch in Jackson County on the Florida side. I think this lake is right on the Georgia-Florida line. (laughs) You've heard of it. So investigators for the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission were called and a search began. And the case, because it, it had been reported to them as a missing hunter, that was how the case was handled. It was fo- they focused on a search and rescue. They weren't thinking that this was any kind of crime. Right. Um, the searchers focused on the ten acres of lake surrounding the cove where Mike's truck was parked, and his boat was found soon, about two hundred twenty-five feet from the boat ramp. And inside of the boat was Mike's shotgun, still in its case, but no sign of Mike. Wow. So searchers assumed that Mike had hit a stump with his boat because this lake at the edges of it has like a lot of growth in in the water you know like mm-hmm. how sometimes edges of lakes you, you know how it is um, foliage foliage or plants they, plants i know a lot about lake life <laughs> salt life hashtag salt life actually lakes are not salt water <laughs> I'm very outdoorsy. (laughs) You're so (laughs) outdoorsy. Okay, so the lake was thoroughly searched. They assumed that he had – so he'd hit a stump and that with his boat and then he had fallen out and drowned. And so 
they they kind of thought like they searched the bottom of the lake, but they also thought, well, sometime over the next three to seven days, his body would surface because that's what happens when someone drowns. Yeah. But nobody was found. And that was very rare because 80 people had drowned in this lake in the past, and Mike's was the only body that hadn't eventually surfaced. Wow. So 10 days into the search, a camouflage pattern hunting hat was found, but they weren't sure if it was Mike's, but that was the only thing they found for a while. And then eventually in early February, the search was called off. And searchers told the family that it was likely that he had been eaten by alligators. (gasps) Yeah. And then the day after the search was called off, Denise held a memorial for Mike. And it seemed like with this alligator, everybody kind of had some closure. Everybody, that is, except for Mike's mom, Cheryl. And she just couldn't accept that Mike was dead and that if he was dead, that they would never find his body. And so she hired a private search team to- Good for her. Yeah, but they came up with nothing. And then- Six months after he went missing, a court granted Denise's petition to have Mike declared officially dead. And this decision allowed Denise to collect on her husband's life insurance policies, which totaled $1.5 million. Whoa. And it turns out that Brian Winchester, Mike's best friend, had actually sold Mike some of those policies. Oh, how convenient. How convenient. So in June... Of that year. So he went missing in December. And then in June, Mike's waders, his hunting jacket, a flashlight, and his hunting license were all found in the lake. And although his death had been ruled an accidental drowning, Cheryl, Mike's mom, would not stop trying to find out what happened to her son. She believed that he might still be alive. And she actually told the Tennessee Democrat that I get criticized a lot for not admitting that Mike's dead. All I know is I can't stop looking for him until I find him. Which, of course. I mean, yes, yeah. you can imagine if it's your child. So one detail that particularly particularly stuck out to her was this theory that he had been eaten by alligators. And she remembered Mike telling her at one point that alligators didn't eat in the winter. And the day that Mike went missing was like unseasonably cold for Florida. It had actually gotten below freezing that night. Wow. So she hired an expert from Florida State who agreed that it was highly unlikely that an alligator ate Mike's body. And then corroborating this fact was that the waders and the clothing that were found had no animal bite marks on them. So it's like if he was – Yeah. Like did he get naked and then was eaten? You know, I mean it was like there's – just didn't add up. And But for years, she was trying to get anyone to pay attention, but investigators had closed this case. They were like, this was a missing person. He drowned. He got eaten by alligators, probably. It's so frustrating. So she investigated on her own when she wasn't – she operated – when she wasn't operating her daycare, she ran advertisements in the local newspapers. She would put up billboards every once in a while. Sometimes she would just go – into town with just a sign and be her own woman like picketing the police station just to get anyone to pay attention. That's so like, I respect her so much for doing that. And I'm sure that she faced so many people treating her like she was crazy or a pain in the ass or a nuisance or just a a grieving mother who just lost it, you know? Yes. No, exactly. She, 
I mean, and her relationship with Denise was strained because Denise was like, we are want to move on. Like, this is a painful reminder. And she basically told Cheryl that if she didn't stop, she could no longer see her granddaughter. And, but Cheryl couldn't stop. And in 2004, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, kind of on the basis of this alligator information and then other circumstances surrounding Mike's drowning, agreed that it was unusual. And so they decided to reopen the case. However, yeah, the new investigation was made extremely difficult because during the original search, criminal activity had not even been considered. They didn't protect the crime scene at all. By the time investigators began to realize that they should have asked more questions, the opportunity was gone. Mike's Bronco and the boat had been returned to his family and friends. The footsteps of like volunteers and searchers all over the lakeshore made it impossible to collect any evidence. And the items that they had recovered from the lake weren't kept. They were, they just threw them out. So oh my they God. had no evidence and didn't have Mike's body. And so it was impossible for police to make a case. Oh, man. But the investigators did have their suspicions. And those suspicions grew when a year after they reopened the investigation into Mike's death, his widow Denise and his best friend Brian got married. Ugh. So in that time after Mike's death, Brian had divorced Kathy and the two claimed that they had found comfort in each other. They had been friends since they, these two had also been friends since they were in middle school. And so they said they had grown, grown closer after Mike's death. And that is how it all happened. But mm-hmm. still, so yeah, I know. Years went by with no new leads and Cheryl continued to take out ads in the newspaper. And in 2008, a case was opened to investigate Brian and Denise for insurance fraud because you know, here was the man who sold the policy. Right. Like married to a blatant. woman who benefited from them. Right. But again, there was just no evidence. And so no case could ever get made. And then starting on New Year's Day in 2012, Cheryl began writing one letter a day to Governor Rick Scott, asking him to have either have another agency's beside the Florida Department of Law Enforcement investigate or appoint a special prosecutor. And after she had written over 200 letters without even an acknowledgement. Love this woman. I know. She began inquiring personally, like, why isn't anybody even just, why am I not even getting like a form letter back saying you've gotten these? And it turned out that the governor's office had forwarded them unopened (gasps) to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement's headquarters, and they had just been placed in a case file unopened. Oh, my God. And she said, they could not have hurt me more if they punched me in the face. Oh, my God. I can't imagine. I know. Oh and God. that's that's like where the investigation was stalled until that day in 2015 when Denise Winchester walked into the police department to report her husband for kidnapping. <gasps> so police picked Brian up and charged him with kidnapping, domestic assault, armed burglary, and with two of those charges being felonies. And Denise requested protection orders saying that she feared for her life and for her daughter's life. And after hearing the next week, she said she could not, she couldn't sleep or eat since the incident. And so the court decided to hold Brian without bail. So in December 2017, Brian was sentenced to 20 years in prison for the kidnapping. The charges of robbery. 20 years? 20 years, yeah. The charges of armed robbery and domestic assault were dropped because before the sentencing, prosecutors had gone to Brian and made him a deal. 
They said if he told them everything he knew about the disappearance of Mike Williams, they would drop the armed robbery charges and they would also give him immunity for any of his part in the disappearance because what they wanted was Denise. Whoa. And Brian, who basically was like, well, now I'm divorced from this woman, told investigators everything. Oh, my God. Yeah. So what he said is that he and Denise – had been having an affair, obviously, before. Yeah, don't um, say. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Mike had actually suspected that Denise was cheating on him, but he never thought it was his best friend. He oh, even confided God. in Brian. Oh, man. I know, about his suspicions. And Kathy had the same feeling, but they just didn't know that it was that it was each other. Each you know other. what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. So they said that the affair had started in 1997 and then had snowballed from there. And Brian said that the more they were together, the more they wanted to be together. And Denise was against divorce. And so as the affair got but more But for intense, murder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, right. Like she's like, well, I can't get divorced. And she said she would rather be a rich widow than a poor divorcee. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. What a fucking bitch. I know. The affair got more intense. Of course, it's like as this thing grows in this secret, they start this logic, this crazy logic of like the only thing, the only way we can be together is if Mike is dead. Oh, man. So in the lake actually wasn't the first plan that they considered. So at, at one point, Denise suggested staging like a boating accident on the Gulf of Mexico. The four of them, Denise and Mike and uh, Kathy and Brian would all go out and then they would throw Mike and Kathy overboard, <gasps> sink the boat, and then pretend that just Denise and Brian had survived and they would like find buoys to hang on to. Oh my uh, but God. Brian, yeah. Brian was like, well, I don't want to kill my children's mother. And Denise is like, well, I don't mind. Yeah. I don't mind. I don't mind kill killing my children's yeah. father. Oh my God. And Brian was like, I'm cool with divorce. So <laughs> get divorced. You're the one that <laughs> wants to murder. I'm fine yeah. with divorcing. Oh my God. There are videos of his confession. And it he the way he lays it out is like just so straightforward. He's like, We also thought we might stage something at his office because he worked there a lot late at night, but we knew that would mean like a murder investigation. So we thought. No, we're not going to do that. And so they eventually decided to do a hunting accident because everyone knew that Mike was a big hunter. And the reason they decided that now was the time to do it was because one of the life insurance policies, which was about $500,000, was about to lapse. And Mike had actually decided, we have enough life insurance. We're young. They were only 31. Oh, he was man. like, so he was like, I'm going to discontinue these payments. And so he had stopped paying, but Denise had gone behind his back and made one payment to keep the policy going. But Brian and Denise decided together that if she made any more payments, it would look suspicious. So they were basically like, we have one month to do it. Oh, my God. And they had actually, the week before, were going to do it the week before. And so- Brian and Mike had made plans to go hunting and then 
Mike called Brian on the morning and said, oh, I can't go. Denise doesn't want me to go. So she had got cold feet. Changed her mind. Oh, man. But then Brian was like, what, what is going on? Are we going to do it? And she was like, no, no, no. Yes, no, no, we're going to do it. And then so they did it for the next week. So the plan was for Brian to take Mike out to a deep part of the lake push him over and leave him for dead. And the thinking with Brian and Denise was that, oh, this isn't really murder because it's basically leaving it up to God whether or not he died. Oh my God. I know. So the morning of December 16th, Mike got up super early to meet his best friend to go hunting just as they had many times before. And Brian had an alibi arranged to go hunting with his father-in-law like a little bit later in the morning and that so that was like his alibi and he'd slipped his wife Kathy's sleeping pills the night before so that she wouldn't know that he had left way earlier than he said he was going to oh my and god and Denise was home with her kid and made phone calls from her home phone throughout the morning to establish her alibi all of this pre-planning and they're like but it's just leaving it up to god i know it's so oh my god it's like all of this is just like tunnel vision of how can i fuck this person it's like so crazy uh, yeah so so brian and mike meet in the parking lot and and also okay sorry just to like also it's not like oh they needed the money for a thing they both were already wealthy they were Right. I mean, oh not I'm wealthy enough. Yeah. They were it's they were living in like nice homes and had nice things. They were comfortable. So it's not like they were desperate for this money. They would they have just, been fine if they got it. They would have been fine. They just, just didn't fine. she just didn't want to be poor. Oh God. So okay. So Brian and Mike met in a parking lot and Mike followed Brian to the boat launch. They got out of the boat with their gear and they got to a deep part. And Brian says he asked Mike to stand up and look at something in the water, and then he knocked him overboard. Oh and God. the thinking was Brian thought like with his he had these his waders on. Mike had his waders on, which are you know waders. Yeah, or those. yeah. So he thought the water would fill him up. Brian would sink and drown. But somehow, or sorry, Mike would sink and drown. But Mike managed to get to one of those tree stumps, you know, that are out of the water. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he was like holding onto this tree stump and he's just like, what the hell, man, what the hell? And so Brian, he said he panicked and then he circled the boat around once or twice, got his gun out, came around to where Mike was and shot him in the oh face. Oh my God. Can you just imagine what was going on in Michael's mind? I know. He's just like, here's my best friend. Why is he doing that? And he died not knowing Anything like God. not being completely. I know it's it's heartbreaking, and just so cold blooded. And so Brian now knows that this can't be passed off as a boating accident mm -hmm. because. But everything is now like his plan has all gone to hell. So he, everything's taking so long. So he he puts Mike's body in his car and he drives home, and then he gets into bed with his wife, wakes her up a little bit, and pretends that he has also just woken up. And he's like, damn, I overslept, you know. Sorry, oh I missed hunting God. with your dad. But I'm going to go run some errands and I'll be back in a bit. And then he goes back outside and notices that there is blood seeping <gasps> from the bumper of his truck. <sighs> and so he's like, I got to get rid of this body. And so he actually goes to this dead end road at the corner of a lake and digs a hole and buries Mike's body. And then he goes to like five different car washes to find a power washer to get the blood from his car. And then he goes to a family Christmas party. 
And acted like nothing happened. And acted like nothing happened. And then that is where he is when his father called him to let him know that Mike was missing. And then he and his dad went to join the search. And so Brian actually said it was during one of those searches, like days after Mike had drowned, that he planted Mike's hat, hoping that it would add to the story that Mike had drowned. And Brian actually said that for years, he and Denise never talked about what happened that day. But then eventually, he sat her down and told her everything. And she just had no response. Oh, my God. She was just like, okay, great. Like, don't annoy me with these details. Yeah. Like, I told you to do a thing, and you did it, and now it's over, and we're rich. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on May 8th, 2018, Denise Williams was arrested at Florida State as she left work to celebrate her daughter's 19th birthday, minutes after a grand jury had indicted her on charges of first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and accessory after the fact. And Denise's lawyer said his client was innocent of all charges. He said she had nothing to do with Mike Williams' disappearance and had absolutely nothing to do with the crimes that Brian Winchester committed. He said, I find it convenient that the indictment came after Brian had been in prison for several months. And so they entered a plea of not guilty. And then Denise went to trial in December of 2018. And Brian Winchester was the star witness. And he broke down on the stand when he talks about killing Mike. And it's just, you're like, it's so self-serving. I mean, I'm sure it was horrifying. But after four days of testimony... The jury took only eight hours to convict Denise of all charges. And in February of 2019, Denise was sentenced to life in prison. She didn't speak or offer any argument on her behalf. The only person to address the court besides a lawyer was Cheryl Williams, Mike's mom, who said that justice had finally been served and that Denise had not only taken her son, but also her granddaughter from her. Oh, God. I know. And so five months later, Mike and Denise's daughter, Ainsley, was awarded all of the assets from her late father's estate and insurance money that had gone to Denise. And Denise is currently, she filed an appeal of her conviction and life sentence in January of this year. And everyone involved in the case credits Mike's mom, Cheryl, for the fact that the case was ever solved at all. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was her relentless questioning, her tenacity to keep pushing for answers that kept the case alive despite ridicule condemnation and the fact that Denise cut off her contact with Ainsley. She just kept going forward. And Cheryl, even though she was cut off from Ainsley, just as she had fought for Mike, she had always found a way to let Ainsley know she loved her. Every year since Ainsley was little, Cheryl would put an advertisement in the Tallahassee Democrat wishing Ainsley happy birthday. Oh my God. I love this woman. I know. Uh, And the day Denise, yes, the day Denise was arrested was actually the same day that the ad ran for Ainsley's 19th birthday. Oh, 19. And so like, it's crazy to think that she was only what, 15 months old when her dad passed away. And so- Denise got away with it and and Brian got away with this for almost like, so for like 19 years, 18 years. Yeah. So it happened in 2000 and she wasn't sentenced. Denise wasn't sentenced until 2019. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or did the does Cheryl and Ainsley have a relationship now? Does it? Well, say? I I don't know because it's. I mean, this was real literally last year, so the oh, end of last year. I so. hope so. I hope. I so. know. Oh, this woman, 
Man. I know. And that poor girl, right? Just Yes. So not only her mom, but her the only dad she ever knew, her stepdad. Yeah. Oh, this poor girl. Man, that is a crazy, crazy story. So yeah. sad. I'm sorry. It's not. Oy. It I mean, are they – do they ever end well? <laughs> I, always, I always feel bad. No, they do not. I'm like, where's the button? I want to – Sally, this something. isn't your fault. This is Denise and Brian's fault. <laughs> okay, okay. You okay. cannot take responsibility for their actions. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yay. <laughs> that oh, is man. my crazy story. Yikes. Sally, Jen, are you ready for a love story then? Yes, I'm. Are I'm always. You? I'm always ready for a love story, ready. especially after crazy stories like that, where you're just like, ugh, people. Well, I'm not gonna lie. This one does have some ups and downs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jen, <laughs> but it will end in Happy Town. Okay, um, going to I, Happy Town. I promise we will go to Happy Town. I got my information from a few articles. One written for the Independent UK by. Chelsea Richel on tanksgoodnews.com by Susan Lamarca and see goodnews.com. It's gonna, it's gonna end good. And then also one for Fox six. Now in late September of 2017, 27 year old Canadian um, Chantel Melanson was offered a spare ticket that her friend had to go to um, the route 91 harvest country music festival in Las Vegas, Nevada. And she just on a whim decided to take the ticket and was like, yeah, I guess I'll go. So she took off a few days and then off she went with friends to Las Vegas for this three-day event. And her and her friends were, you know, having a great time. They were dancing. They were at a famous country music bar called Gillies. Do you know of it? I didn't know. Don't. I don't frequent country music bars, but I'm sure they're fun. Um, so I, she I used um, to go to, in college, I used to go to a, a line dancing bar. And? Not, and it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> like, there was no story. There was no story to it. <laughs> and it was fun. See? And it was fun. Although, get my instincts eat. were correct. I was sure they were, but. <laughs> you were, and I just wanted to confirm, you were right. One time, <laughs> we went there after my graduation. Uh, mm-hmm. It was my mom, my brother, and Dr. Dudefuck and I, and then, uh-huh. and maybe my boyfriend at the time. I can't remember. But so we're at this country. We're all very drunk, and we're getting ready to leave. And my mom's like, where's Erin? You know? And I was like, I don't know. And, and my brother was like, I don't know. She kept talking about wanting to go make out with a cowboy. And so, and so we walk out and we see Erin. She's standing against a pickup truck, kissing some, some guy. And my mom goes, Erin, that's not a cowboy. That's a farm boy. <laughs> <laughs> and Erin was just like, okay, bye. Whatever. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. <laughs> She's awesome. Yeah. So Chantel's dancing, having a good time with her friends, when suddenly she's approached by a handsome young man named Austin Monfort. He, he was from Southern California, who would also come out for this festival. She told People Magazine, I thought he was really nice, handsome, and tall. That's all you got to be. Right? Just be nice <laughs> and handsome and tall. Um, she said that at first – 
Uh, she made fun of him for not wearing cowboy boots because I guess they were in a country bar and he wasn't wearing cowboy boots. But she said once they got talking, he was just actually really easy to talk to. And she said that she just felt like they knew each other for forever. And they ended up dancing the night away. They went out to uh, and grabbed some food afterwards and they exchanged numbers because they had planned to meet up on the last day of the festival, which was October 1st. Okay. So. They he sent her a text message to come meet him while he was listening to uh, Jason Aldean, uh-huh. um, and while they were listening to his closing performance and having a great time, suddenly Jason Aldean uh, is that how you say it? Jason yeah. Aldean? <laughs> what did I say? Aldean? Aldean. <laughs> I, I don't like, know country. <laughs> it just like computed in my head. I was like, who's Jason Aldean? I was like, oh, okay. Sorry, I, I don't know dude. country either, but I, I think he is any- like. Super I think famous. he's like the most popular. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Let me tell you guys uh, this like funny story to show you how much little I know about country. But a long time ago, I used to manage this clothing store and called Posh. It was like a little boutique. There's one in Nashville. There's a couple in Nashville, but there was one in Georgia for a time. I had this regular customer named Jennifer, and she would come in all the time, and she was so cute and sweet and wonderful, and we would talk all the time for years. You know, so we kind of formed a friendship. And then year, like it could have been like eight years later, I was working at a different store and in walks Jennifer and I, and I stopped and I go, Oh my God, Jennifer. And she looks at me and I go, you used to shop at Posh. And she kind of giggles to herself and laughs. And she's like, yeah, oh my God, that's right. Hey, how are you? Turns yeah. out that was Jennifer Nettles, who's like a major, major country star. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's in like... What's it? What's the? She's won like a million awards, and she's like done songs with Bon Jovi and stuff. (laughs) And I just knew her as Jennifer that used to come and shop at Posh. I just had no idea. Sugarland, that's the Sugarland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. (laughs) But I will tell you. So for country fans, if anybody's wondering about Jennifer Nettles, one of the most lovely people. So sweet, so nice. I haven't seen her since that day, but she was always just such a lovely person. Yeah. Back to my love story. Okay. So while they were listening to Jason Aldean's closing performance, um, shots suddenly rang out and the pair found themselves on the ground with gunshots that seemed to be coming from every direction. That day on October 1st, during the festival, 64-year-old Stephen Paddock fired shots from the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel, which resulted in the deadliest mass, one of, no, it is the, it says it is the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. He had killed 59 festival goers and injured 869 of the 22,000 attendees, all Uh. from his hotel room before taking his own life. Austin recalled, he said, we were just listening to music and having a good time and until we realized that the noises weren't fireworks, they were gunshots. And then it became, am I going to survive this? How much longer until police can make it stop? Do we, and how do we get out of here? He told People Magazine, I felt a sense of responsibility for Chantal. She was with me and not her friends. I felt like not only did I have to get myself out, but also her and keeping her calm and getting her out kept me calm and it allowed me to not panic. 
So, and Chantel said that she was just laying on the ground and looking in Austin's eyes and trying to make sense of everything. And she said, the next thing I knew, Austin was holding my hand and we were running through the entire grounds trying to make it to safety. So Chantal and Austin hailed a taxi cab to escape to safety, which amazing. I mean, can you imagine like hailing a cab? in the middle of all that. But then they saw a woman who had been shot in the stomach and leg and was limping towards them. And then they ended up taking her to the hospital. Oh, good. Um, I'm glad they were like, sorry. (laughs) My cab. (laughs) No, they took her to the hospital. And then that's where they ended up spending the night that night. Chantel said that Austin held her throughout the night and kept her safe. She said, and after what we had just gone through, he was my safe place. And in the morning, you know, it was like, can you imagine going through a night like that? And then they just like had to say their goodbyes. Austin went back to Southern California and Chantel went back to Canada. Um, Oh, my gosh. I know. It's crazy. And so they ended up contacting each other through FaceTime and they soon fell in love. They bonded over processing the trauma that they had both gone through together, you know? Right. She said that even when she was home, she only wanted to talk to Austin. She said she only felt safe talking to him so that they could process what they went through, you know? And so they- Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine. It's like you hear the stories, but you can't understand what it's like until you're- in it, like the craziness and the confusion and the uh, trauma. And so having the person that was there with you would be, it would be very comforting to process that with them because they're the only person that understands. I know. Uh, She said, um, there was a reason we met when we did, we needed each other in this chaos. They ended up long distance became a couple and they alternated visiting each other, but they never spent more than six weeks apart. And that's a lot, that's a big commitment for you to long distance. Yeah. Yeah. And so on Friday, March 8th, after 18 months of being together, Chantal and Austin met at their favorite place on Laguna beach where they got this cute little hotel room. They didn't have any plans other than to just be together, you know, because they spent so much time apart. So they sat on the beach and it was like a windy and chilly day. So they sat bundled up by the water and Austin was wearing cowboy boots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because he wore them to the beach, but not to the actual country bar. <laughs> <laughs> they ended up walking towards the water. And when suddenly Austin stopped and gave Chantal a hug and she said she could feel his heart racing like when they were hugging and she asked him like, are you okay? And that's when Austin got down on one knee, reached into his cowboy boot. And he pulled out a ring and he proposed. Aww. So cute. And so Chantal, of course. Can we have another story where somebody pulled a ring out of their cowboy boot? Maybe. Is that a country thing? I don't know. Maybe I bet there's a song about it. I don't know anything about country. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you Um, call up your good friend Jennifer Nettles? (laughs) I should. Oh, my gosh. She would just remember me as that person who had no idea that she was a famous, famous, (laughs) very, 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 very famous celebrity. I bet she felt like it was. AKA the idiot. (laughs) I think she did because she seemed real cool. Um, So anyway, uh, Chantal, of course, um, said yes. And they celebrated by having beers on the beach. And then later they had a romantic three-course dinner and drinks at her favorite rooftop bar, which is Skyloft. Never been. Sounds lovely. Sounds great. 
Yeah. The couple was actually legally married last November, but they planned to return to Las Vegas for a wedding party with family and friends. Um, but they ended up having to postpone the event because of this goddamn coronavirus. Jesus. Outbreak. Yes. And so they had to go through some immigration policies, but Chantel has been granted a visa and she's waiting on her green card. And currently her and Austin are grateful that they can quarantine together in the same country, together in California, and they look forward to celebrating their actual wedding once the lockdown has been lifted. And they recently posted a photo on their Instagram of what would have been their wedding day, and they captioned it, our wedding was supposed to be Friday. Although we didn't have the wedding, we still want to celebrate us. We will have a wonderful evening date in the backyard with a few of our wedding signs, a wonderful dinner, and champagne. And their story through Instagram and everything has gotten a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. You know, Chantal says that, you know, it's been surreal. She told The Independent, it's been so positive. We love to put a smile on people's faces during such an uncertain time. It's nice to put a light on the positive side of such a devastating night. And as for their happy ending, the couple described their story as a fairy tale love story. Oh, and that's my love story. Wow. And I'm going to post their pictures because they're both adorable. I'm going to share their Instagram as well so that you guys can go on there and show your love and support and see their cute pictures. Oh, that's amazing. And that's amazing that they randomly met the day just once before that all happened. Yeah. Oh, man. That's insane. That's insane. What a good, what a good story. And I can't wait to see pictures. What do you think? Should we do something dumb and something we love? Yeah, let's do it. All right, you go first. Okay. So my something dumb this week is that social distancing has not stopped creepy dudes from being creepy dudes. And Are you getting dick pics? Are you getting them quarantine <laughs> dick pics, Sally? I didn't get any dick pics, but I I've was... never gotten a dick. I shouldn't say that on here. <laughs> Please don't send them to me. I have actually never gotten so. one. <laughs> I'm not either. Not dick pickable. I am not dick pickable. I, Apparently. you know what? I, I take that back. I had gotten some random ones from people like I don't know just on Twitter. And I just want you to know. Mama still got it because I was out for a walk. And so I'm out for a walk. I'm on, I have my headphones in and this ambulance stops next to me on the road. Like <gasps> the driver stops the ambulance and gets out. And I think he's like, and he's like, excuse me, excuse me. And I think I take my headphones out. I think he's going to ask me directions. For directions. Right. To save a life. To, to save, save a, a life. Right. So I stop and he's like walking towards me across the street. And then he stops in the middle of the street and he goes, oh, you're a married lady. <gasps> and I was like, yeah. And he just goes, Oh, I'm sorry. And then he just kind of starts backing away and he goes, sorry, sorry. I just, you know, I like, well, I hope it made you feel good because, you know, you look great and da, da, da. And, and then back. So, but he was like, I mean, he was coming toward, he wasn't wearing a mask. He's an what ambulance the fuck? I was like, he uh, first of all, he's on the you. front lines and he is approaching you and he's supposed to be social distancing. What the fuck? I know. I was like, I don't know whether to be more insulted by like just. I mean, the stopping and coming towards me is just like dude stuff, right? Ugh. Not like, oh, it happens all the time, but it does happen to women. You know, it's kind of yeah. it's just more annoying. 
But I'm like, but this was like actually dangerous coming towards me without a mask. And it, like he wasn't stopped. He only stopped because he saw my wedding rings. Like, thank God I had him on. Jeez Louise. Anyway, so dudes oh my out God. there still being fucking dudes. What a fucking idiot this guy. I mean, no, you're gorgeous and I would hit on you too, but not you. during the quarantine. And like you would think as an EMT, he would know that. Right. I'm like, at least just I like, want his badge gonna, number. If he was Did gonna you holler get at me, how I didn't. I just oh. was like, I don't okay, go away. You know, like of course I didn't I wasn't like, fuck you. I didn't I just was like, ah, 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 okay, bye. Oh my god, I'm livid. I know. And also, it drives me fucking insane if I have earphones in. That mm-hmm. means I don't want to talk to you. Please don't make me take my headphones off for you to say something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like, I used, while I haven't gotten any dick pics, I have <laughs> gotten, like, you know, if I'm reading a book in a coffee shop, I'm reading a fucking book. I'm not yeah. trying to meet people. If I'm on the subway and I have my headphones in, I don't I have them in because I don't want to talk to you. I know. Like it just on an airplane, me. that's my least favorite. I'm oh, like, yeah, I am yeah. I like very specifically put my headphones in on an airplane and then it just <sighs> it's so unfair. Nine times out of ten, then when someone approaches you and then you take your earphones out and then you have to politely, you know, be like, uh-huh, and end the conversation. No matter how you end the conversation, they always make you out to look like you're a heartless bitch or you're yes. an asshole or yes. like, how dare you turn me down? And it's like, dude, I'm just trying to drink my coffee and eat, uh, drink, eat my book. I want to eat my book. (laughs) Maybe that'll make you go away once I start eating this book. Just tearing off little pieces. (laughs) (laughs) And I also was just like, so what if I wasn't married? Do you think that that would have worked? Do you think that I would be like, oh, yeah, come give me coronavirus? Oh, my God. It just, I don't understand what goes through dudes' heads. Me neither. Step away. <sighs> anyway, so that's Step dumb. Away, sir. <laughs> anyway, so that was dumb. The thing I love, I think, is just that we're at 50 episodes. And Me too. I love that. It's been such a pleasure. It doesn't feel like 50 episodes. Like, I feel like we just started. And so I think that's a good sign. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, it's just, it's it's gone so fast. And it's just been, every week is such a pleasure. Looking forward to 50 more. At least, man. At least. Yeah. Thanks. What do you got? So for something dumb, you know, we're all trying to make the most out of our homes Mm -hmm. and trying to make it more summerable Uh and enjoyable. Get an above ground pool, they said. It's easy. (laughs) My friend has one that she bought for $100 and it's so easy and they love it, Sally said. But can I just also get say that her above ground pool <laughs> was 10 feet? And how big is the above ground pool that you guys got? 50 feet. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It's 20 feet by 54 inches. Sorry. No, <laughs> I was like, not. 50 feet? What the f-? No, no, no. It's not. It's uh, 20, uh, but it's ginorm. Uh, it is not that easy to uh, put. It's not, you don't just throw it up. And you put the hose in and start swimming. We have been uh, grading our yard, trying to flatten it and get it level. Yesterday, I was digging. I think I might have been digging my own grave. I was digging, 
digging in the dirt for hours in the oh, hot, so hot, hot heat. sticky yesterday. Oh, my God. <laughs> and now as soon as we finish this podcast, I have to go do it some more. <laughs> but so, God, it's been a lot of work. I really, really hope that we do it right. I hope that it works. And hopefully at the end of it, we have something to swim in. And the something I love is, so tonight, actually, I, I, this is for anybody that lives in the state of Georgia. Tonight, I am. we're going to the drive-in. And I know Starlight <gasps> 6 drive-in is great, and, and it's wonderful, and you should definitely frequent the Starlight 6 drive-in. But also, I'm going to the drive-in, which is um, through Plaza Theater, which is uh-huh. – I love the Plaza Theater. I've ever since I was a teenager and can drive downtown. It's historic and it's beautiful and I love it. And the people that own it are amazing. They truly love film and they truly love the theater. And um, we've done comedy shows there before um, Mm -hmm. through the Laughing Skull does comedy shows there. They're doing now drive-in movie theaters in their parking lot and then also in the Dad's Garage parking lot. And okay. Dad's Garage Theater is another amazing improv theater that we want to support and we want to keep it going through the quarantine. So if you want to go have fun and they have all these cool things like there's all these restaurants nearby that are doing special menus for the drive through So you can order food from these cool restaurants and then eat it in your car while you watch a movie. I love that so much. I know. And they're fun movies like Jurassic Park. We're going to see Groundhog's Day. and But there's like, you know, they're doing all kinds of fun stuff. Um, but so check them out. Get yourself a spot. Go have some fun. Go to the movies. Get that out of the house. Amazing. Um, but it's also safe and social, socially distant. So yeah. um, let's – I'm excited to do it, but I also truly want to support the Plaza Theater because if it ever closed, I would just be so sad. Yeah. So, so sad. And Dad's Garage. So Yeah. Oh, yeah. how cool. I'm so – I didn't know about that, and I'm so excited. I wish I didn't have a four-year-old. <laughs> We did yeah, it. We did it. We did it. That was our 50th episode, Sally. Congratulations. Congratulations to you, Jen. And we, you know what? We'll be back to celebrate again in two episodes for our one-year anniversary. Yeah. So That's true. We have a lot of celebrating to do. We have a lot of celebrating. And Jen's birthday. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which she does not want to talk about, but it's all I want to talk about. <laughs> What is time? What is time? What is time? Do we age in the quarantine? I I like to think that we're on pause. And when I come out at the other end of it, I'll still be 39. (laughs) That's what gets me through it. (laughs) Okay, whatever you want. (laughs) I'm also going to be 39 when I come out of this quarantine. We might age backwards. That's That's what I like to think. We're all going to be thinner, younger, happier, more productive. Oh, I love it. Let's hope so. All right, you guys. Thank you again for for listening and for being around and for being so great. Join us on Patreon. We're doing super fun stuff over there. Just go to Patreon at Dumb Love Podcast. Um, You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, at Dumb Love Podcast. You can find our website, which I just redid, and it's very pretty, dumblovepodcast.com. And you can email us your stories, your love stories, your crazy stories at dumblovepod at gmail.com. And then stay inside and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum-dum-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-